Welcome back to the Flex Diet Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mike T. Nelson. On this podcast, we discuss all things that help you increase your lean body mass, aka muscle, increase your performance, and improve your body composition, all without destroying your health and done in a flexible manner. Today in the podcast, I've got Chip Conrad, and we talk about the philosophy of weight training, exercise, and movement overall. Uh, We get into different and unique movements. We also have a discussion about music, of course, because Chip likes awesome music, such as I do. So we talk about that at the very beginning. And then we get into what things should you consider for your training. Uh, Obviously, the first thing that pops into mind is goal setting, and that's a good start. But how do you go beyond that? Like, what are other things you should consider with your training? Things like uh, cost. Obviously, I'm a big fan of measuring that with heart rate variability, but there are other ways. And we talk a lot about transfer. So are you getting just better in the gym? Does that transfer to other aspects of your life, be it recreation, playing with your kids, maybe even just getting better cognitively at work? So enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Chip Conrad. Really appreciate him coming on here and and taking the time. He's currently traveling throughout the U.S. And this podcast is brought to you by the Physiologic Flexibility Certification. It goes on sale again April 4th. So depending upon when you're listening to that, maybe it'll be on sale then. Uh, The FizzFlex Cert is the level two to the Flex Diet Cert. Flex Diet Cert would be level one, which is how to increase your ability to recover, uh, focusing on nutrition, also light movements such as walking, exercise, sleep. We talk about fasting, kind of all the basics that you need to get down pretty darn good. Once you have those down, then I would look at the level two, which is the FizzFlex Cert. This includes interventions such as cold water immersion or just cold water in general, heat such as sauna, low-intensity aerobic work, also high-intensity interval training, uh, breathing techniques, things you can do to increase your performance, think better cognitively. And I also do a pretty deep dive into fuel systems, everything on glucose to a ketogenic diet including a very deep dive into ketones themselves. This is all wrapped up in a framework that shows you how to use these things and when you should use them. A lot of what I've seen out there has some very good information within those areas, but I wasn't able to find a complete system of how do all these things fit together. And that is done via something called a homeostasis, that temperature we maintain 98.6 degrees but we can get better via adaptation in hot environments we can get better via adaptation to cold environments we're not necessarily looking to change our core body temperature but we can expand our capacity in each one of these areas Uh, one would be temperature two would be ph three would be your fuel systems And fourth would be oxygen and carbon dioxide. Those are all the main leverage points that the system is set up on. 
And if you get better and expand your capacity in each one of those areas, I believe that's going to make you a lot more robust and resilient, increase your ability to recover, and just generally make you a lot harder to kill. The nice part is, uh, for most of them, you don't have to spend a ton of time in each area, because for a lot of people, they're going to be relatively novel. And I cover ways to use technology and also no tech options. So for each one of those, there's options that you can do that don't require any technology. So you don't need to spend you know, thousands of dollars and get a sauna. If you've got one, great. There's also no tech options there. Uh, it opens April 4th, and it'll be open for one week until midnight, April 11th, 2022. So if you want to enroll in the Physiologic Flexibility Cert, go to physiologicflexibility.com. If you're listening to it outside of the time of April 4th through the 11th, you can still get on the wait list for the next time that it opens up. So enjoy this wide-ranging conversation from music to philosophy of training, old-time strongman lifts, and much more uh, with Chip Conrad. Cool. Welcome to the Flex Diet Podcast. I'm here with Chip Conrad. How's it going, man? It's going well. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. We just uh, off air here had a little chat about music, which we'll stick at the end of the show if anyone is interested. All good stuff. Uh, you said you just got to see Gary Newman, which was the last band you saw before the shutdown and then saw him again. Yeah, they bookended, they bookended uh, COVID for me. I had the same thing with uh, August Burns Red. So mm. the last time I saw them was, I think, almost three years ago. And then I saw them the other day with, it was August Burns Red with uh, Light the Torch, which is Howard Jones, and then uh, Kill Switch Engage. And it was phenomenal. It was a, amazing. Like the the performance by August Burns Red is probably one of the best performances I've seen from them. Uh, the sound wasn't the greatest. The mix was a little weird, but mm. you know, it wasn't anything they had to do about it per se. And then, uh, yeah, Kill Switch Engage was amazing. Um, Adam Durkowitz, who's obviously the guitarist, is, is so funny just to see the <clears throat> antic he, he pulls out on stage. And so, like, at the start of the second song, he's like, hey, this looks like a brand new club. Everyone's like, yeah. He's like, we're here to take a huge sonic shit on your brand new club. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Uh, yeah, and Howard Jones came out, did a couple songs with them too, which for people listening, wow. obviously the former singer from Killswitch Engage, kind of an intermediate in between. So yeah, it was amazing. It was awesome to see. Now, have they put anything out new recently? I haven't heard much from them, Killswitch. Uh, they did. It's, oh God, I lost track because of COVID. It seems like all the albums got lost in a time warp. It was a year or two years ago, Atonement. Yeah. And okay. uh, yeah, it's it's really good. Like the first three tracks are still kind of my, my favorite on it. Uh, but yeah, Jesse Leach did an awesome job on all the vocals and live. It was, it was really good. Uh, it was, yeah, it was interesting to go back to live music after almost three years, which is by far the longest period of time I've ever not been to a show by far. So it's, uh, yeah, also good for the artists to actually start to make money again too, which is, got to be incredibly hard on them during the time off yeah i mean these days i i can't with with spotify and all that stuff i can't imagine album sales are making anybody money these days so it's got to be the live shows yeah i mean the only thing i've heard from people working in the industry is that if if you own all the rights to everything 
and you're kind of doing it on your own, you may make some money from streaming. Yeah. If you don't, I mean, you could have like millions of streams and you're still probably not even making enough to make a living. Yeah. So most bands make most money now off of, you know, merch and other stuff they've got going on, which if you can't tour, it's a lot harder to sell merch too. So, yeah, exactly. What was the, the quote I saw recently? If you see, a, if you see a small band on tour, go buy the t-shirt because that means they're going to eat Mac and cheese tonight or something like that. Yeah, that's pretty true. I got a, I saw several tour the other night. Uh, which was amazing. I, I got one of their shirts for 15 bucks and I was like, I said, why is this shirt like half, like over half price of the other ones? And he's like, oh, because we printed them for the tour in 2020 for their Quadra album. And they put all the dates and everything on the back. They had everything ready to go. And then the tour obviously just got shut down. So they were just, you know, they got all this merch that they're just trying to sell. I'm like, yeah, I'll buy a shirt for 15 bucks. Here's a $5 tip. Yeah, it was great. Nice, <laughs> nice. That'd be fun. I, yeah, I got to see Sepultura. That'd be fun. It was good. Like, I saw them first four or five years ago. And that was the first time I saw Derek Green on vocals, which he's been doing. I think he's been with the band for like 10 years now. But I, know, I always yeah. think of, you know, Max was the main guy for years. Right. And that was kind of, yeah, I was like hesitant. I was like, ah, I don't know. But I'm like, ah, Sepultura, I'll go. And I was like, holy crap. He, he was amazing. He nice. did a phenomenal job. And yeah, this time, same thing. He had broke his ankle, so he was up there with a little bit of an air cast on it. But yeah, like the bass player, the guitarist, their drummer is just fanatical. Like he went bananas, like the whole set, like almost no stops. It was, yeah, it was fun to see. Nice. Yeah, so we already divulged into more music. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I'm going to get sucked in. So, hey, let's let's talk about something else. <laughs> hey because <laughs> I, I was thinking i was just thinking of the new bloody wood album have you heard the new bloody wood album? that's good uh, that's very there, good. There, there's like little sepultura shout outs on there like you can hear these yeah. little riffs and you're like oh i see what you're doing yeah one of the the cool things i did in the, the pandemic was it's these kind of small things kind of similarly related to training too where you you do something and you're like that really didn't cost me that much money. Why didn't I do that so much sooner? Mm -hmm. And I bought a subscription to XM uh, radio. So mm -hmm. serious. And I, I had it when I worked for a medical device company for a while, I would get the rental car and I'd try to get the one that had the, the serious XM in it. And a couple of times I drove, uh, when I was in South Padre, I took a flight down there. And so I got a car. I was so excited when they had the XM radio, cause I could listen to liquid metals. I was going out kiteboarding. Mm -hmm. And then I realized I just kind of forgot about it. And then later I was like, oh, I should probably check into that again. I was like, oh, it's not even that expensive. And lo and behold, I found out our car has a stereo that you can get satellite radio. So last time before I drove down to South Padre, which takes about two, three days at least, um, I got the subscription and I remember getting in the car and just tooling around all the stations. And there was a live concert of uh, Bruce Springsteen. It was like a two and a half hour concert. Oh. It was phenomenal. I was wow. like, holy crap, this is like... I like his album stuff, but I haven't gone crazy over it. But right. the live stuff was phenomenal. So I was like, huh, why didn't I do this later? And of course, you have the apps. I can listen on my computer, play it in the gym. And yeah, so it's been a lot of fun lately. Huh. Okay. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. One of those little small investments that'll, that'll help your training. Because sometimes you go to the gym and you're like, I just don't know what to listen to. I can't decide. I'm like, I'll oh, just put on some liquid metal. And it's like, oh. It's always always good stuff on there. It's mm. also a good way to hear new music too, because it's you kind of live in your own little hole. It's hard to find new stuff once in a while. 
<laughs> there's a listener tip for you yeah there you go um yeah so people are are still listening all four people uh, <laughs> give, give us a little background on yourself there yeah oh yeah i'm supposed to talk about me now um That's part of the deal <laughs> i uh i created a, a training philosophy and which eventually turned into a gym called body tribe and that was i started the body tribe concept about 23 24 years ago and then i opened my gym well now it'd be 20 about 20 19 years ago and then right as the pandemic hit i realized this isn't going to work um and so i decided i'm going to leave the gym and then just sort of travel the country uh, oh nice put my training online teach here and there if i can you know in person and uh uh, visit my mom where I am right now in North Carolina and then bounce around the country. And, and, uh, that's what I've been doing for a year and a half now. Very cool. Are you doing kind of Airbnb or did you do like all the cool kids and get a van or just kind of a Subaru? Yeah. It's a Subaru and I can sleep in it. Oh, or very cool. Bust out my tent and every now and then, yeah, I might get a motel room, but <laughs> yeah, it's, it's sort of like van life. I have, I have a, a recently adopted dog who's with me who, I would show you, but she's under the bed at the moment. Oh, okay. <laughs> and she, she travels, she travels the country with me now. So that's, uh, that's yeah. I hit the road and take my training philosophy with me. So, um, I've become very active on, on YouTube. I try to put a new video out every week and I have one of the oldest fitness YouTube channels around. I think I started it in 2007, like right after YouTube started. Um, nice but nobody watches it. So, you know, I watch, <laughs> I watch my videos. They're pretty good. I mean, every, I got cool drone footage and I've got me explaining, Ooh. teaching stuff and Getting with my fancy. usual philosophy that I do. And, uh, how do they I find got, the, uh, the channel for people who want to listen in or watch? I think it's body tribe or body tribe one. If you look up body tribe on YouTube, you will find me. <clears throat> nice. What kind of videos do you normally put up there? Well, generally it's me traveling somewhere and doing something interesting there it might be a gym it might be outside a lot of them recently over the last couple of years have been me outside you know uh, just saying look uh, it, it, trying to give new insight into how uh, uh, movement and training could be because we are we're locked in some real dogmatic nonsense right now in the, in the training You're world kidding. I like to think that I've stepped, yeah. I like to think that I've stepped back from the what I call the fitness industrial complex. And I can look into it and I can see what's going on, but I'm kind of finding the people outside on the fringes who are sort of doing their own thing. And I'm, I've been doing. I mean, my gym was the weirdest gym I've ever been in, and uh, uh, I can tell you stories that actually there's some stories I can't tell you that we did at my gym that were just you know crazy. But but my, the training philosophy behind what I do and everything is is by far an invitation for people to think freely rather than to uh, uh, live the investment that they've been putting into with that, with the fitness industrial complex. And so my videos are like, Hey, come, come move in weird ways. Or like the slogan is move in many ways for many reasons. And that's the goal. So you mean you don't have to go to the global gym and bench press on Mondays is what you're saying. Exactly. Um, and it's interesting how, how many ways, you know, that is, that's a key, that's a prime example, but how many, uh, ways that movement has been packaged and sold to us like that, you know, that's one of them. The bench press is all important. It has to be done this way, this way, this way. 
And I want us to think, you know what? There's so many ways to move. Why aren't we expressing all those ways and training uh, to support those ways? So what was uh, weird about your gym? Was it just different movement patterns or what <laughs> made it different from most gyms? So one thing I've noticed in gyms, and again, being an outsider to the whole thing, I, I get some f- flack for talking like this. <laughs> you, you might appreciate it. I was uh, once dubbed the Henry Rollins of fitness. Uh, Ooh, because, that's awesome. Because I, I know, wear I that with my, pride. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I, I got a lot Rollins. to say and I do a lot of uh, fist shaking. Um <laughs> But I'm, but I'm not near as cool as he is. Uh, it, I might <laughs> body tribe was one of the very few gyms I've ever I've ever been to, even though it was mine. But I don't see too many gyms that's that are spawned from an actual philosophy. Uh, you know, like for instance, you go to the CrossFit philosophy page. That's not a philosophy. That's a training protocol. That's something completely different. You know, they call it a philosophy. So when a gym calls what they do a philosophy, it's not. It's basically their program design. And that's not a philosophy. And so I very rarely see gyms started in somebody's brain from a, from a profound thought process. Um, instead, it's usually, uh, you know, I like to train people, therefore I need a space for that. That's as deep as most people go, or <laughs> they buy somebody else's thought. Uh, that's what a lot of the certifications are. It's like buying somebody else's um, prefabricated thought, uh, or that's what a franchise is. Yeah. That's what a lot of the training certifications are. And, and therefore what you're doing as a trainer is you're buying somebody's thoughts. So you can turn around and sell that thought. And that's, that's not, so that made body tribe feel like a very unique place because it came from a space of something that I spent many years thinking about and, and brewing in my own own head Granted, there was a lot of influences. I'm not saying it was, you know, my, there's nothing unique about it except for the fact that it was filtered through my own brain, but um, it had, <laughs> it was a very unique setup too. We had, we were, the, I mean, I started back in the early 2000, 2002, 2003. Um, at, at that point, very few people were, were mishmashing a lot of stuff together. It was basically, and, and this is still the, the case today people seem to want to do the one category that they're invested in. And, and that's, you know, the, the bummer of fitness is that it's sold as a bunch of categories. So you're, you do CrossFit or you do powerlifting or you do yoga or you do kettlebells or, you know, whatever you do TRX. It's very rare that people just look around and go, well, you know, there's, there's basic movement offered in all of those things. Why aren't we just teaching movement and letting it manifest in all those different ways if we want. And so I was, the only gym, and and I still don't see this too often. I was the only gym for many years, especially where I where I lived. Uh, this was in Sacramento, in California. That did uh, we we had a, a you know a movement mobility tumbling yoga style uh, practice, but we also mixed it with competitive powerlifting, competitive strongman, competitive weightlifting. Uh, we did clubs, we did kettlebells. I was the only person doing clubs in, in Northern California for many many years. Um, or at least in my area. Uh, and and it wasn't that I was trying to master these things. It's just that they all had very similar foundations. All, all these programs, all these ideas, whether it's yoga or powerlifting, the foundations can still be the same. And that is we're trying to find um, movement patterns that are going to make us better at something, hopefully. And so I created this concept of, of uh, strength being far more metaphysical than physical. And so how are we going to manifest 
strength um, in our lives. And therefore, how are we going to train to support the manifestation of strength in our lives? And then I ended up writing some books about it and doing some DVDs about it and touring the country, teaching workshops about it. And, and in all that, I just, I didn't see a lot of other people giving that kind of thought to it. And I, I don't want to say I'm unique. I've come across some wonderful people who do think a lot, but you don't see a lot of gyms manifesting from that. It's kind of a bummer. It is kind of weird in that people get very into systems and I think for good intentions, but they can't think their way out of the system. And that has a lot of limitations. Yeah. And so for example, I'll pick on kettlebells because I did RKC early on, learned from Pavel, was assistant for a couple of years. And it was cool. Like I learned a lot of stuff. It was a great community. It was awesome. The the downside I saw and why I left was that there was a lot of broken people who kept showing up. And after a while, I'm like, hmm, maybe there's some aspects that are great. I like kettlebells. I think they're a lot of fun. They're definitely a useful tool. But do I really need to create maximal tension with a light kettlebell as a form of training? If I want more tension, why don't I just use a heavier kettlebell? Like, I get it if you don't have one, but when you have one, it should be like appropriate tension, not maximal tension, right? So there's some stuff like just on the basic philosophy that was things I didn't agree with. And then when I kind of played around with it, ooh, I didn't feel so good. And then I started seeing more people get kind of injured, even when they were very injured, like trying to explain to them that maybe you shouldn't have maximal tension and grit your teeth together and contract your maximal hand when you're trying to press a 16 kg as a grown man. Yeah. Right. I you just pick a heavier kettlebell. I think your life will be better, but even just something like that simple for a lot of people are like, Oh my God, that's, that's heresy. What do you, you can't say that that's not part of the system. That's not what Pavel's teaching, you know? And so it was this weird thing where I think a lot of, I'm just not just ripping on them, but a lot of systems fall into this where the people following it are like oh but you're going against what they're saying i'm like it's just a tool like learn what you can apply what you want test it for yourself see what works and move on if you want to keep parts of it great if you don't great um i agree that the reason i left and wasn't teaching is because i disagreed on some of the principles and i so i'm just not teaching those so therefore that's part of the system so i'm out which okay fine whatever i get it um but that's just not unique to kettlebells. That's powerlifting, CrossFit, yep. it, whatever. Like every there's, single system, every single system is is almost like that, which is it's always weird to me. <laughs> well, what's What's interesting is we're we're a we're a, a, as a, there's a human condition of investment, and so if we invest in something, um, we kind of have to go all in. Uh, otherwise, and and create this cognitive dissonance in our brain to support it. Otherwise, we're going to feel like we're uh, we're letting somebody down. I don't know. This there's this weird concept that the more time and energy and money we put into something, the more we have to believe it. Yeah, and, almost like a sunk cost fallacy thing too. It's just yeah. that you've invested so much time and effort into it, and I've done this with other multiple systems too, and just was going to teach for them and just walked away because I, I like a lot of stuff is good, but man, some of the culture was scaring me because people wanted to do the most complicated thing known to man to impress other trainers 
yeah, and not the person who needed the result in front. I'm like, dude, just start with the simplest thing. If the simple thing gets the result, then that's easier. That's better. But that doesn't look good to your peers. And it was just uh, some of the cultures got weird. And so I'm like, yeah, guess I'm out of this one now. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that was one of the interesting it, the kettlebells were one of the first times I started really noticing that where the kettlebell communities really kind of took that route that you were talking about. Yeah. Let's let's do the advanced stuff and show off to each other. And I was kind of in that boat. I was one of the early kettlebellers and I was yeah. um, throwing stuff around. And then I realized I'm actually not getting any stronger, nor are my clients. <laughs> We're just getting better at doing the kettlebells. And so, and and I really saw it a lot with, with clubs and maces. And, and then you sure. start seeing it with the mobility stuff. And, and basically it's people um, taking whatever they've invested in and trying to see how, what they can squeeze out of it. But it's not actually making them stronger or better. It's just making them better at that particular thing, and 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 to the to the often uh, detriment of the other things. Yes, uh, I call it I call it the eight hundred pound squat syndrome. Um, <laughs> I see so many people chase squat numbers, and yeah, squat's going to help you for a while. But there's a point where the squat's not helping you do anything else except squat more. Mm-hmm. And everything else that the squat was originally helping you with, the, the explosive power, the, the whatever you, you know, whatever benefits you got from the squat, they start falling away as you start working up that squat number. And, and you can replace the 800 pound squat with anything. I mean, you, you know, people do that with yoga where they get so obsessed with it that uh, the other stuff that the yoga was supposed to be helping suddenly is falling to the wayside. And it, it, it's a bummer that when we, when we invest in these categories of movement, we're not investing in their empowerment. We end up investing in their limitations mm-hmm. and we're buying their limitations. And that's, and so my, my original gym concept was you even mentioned it earlier, you know, take what works or as Bruce Lee said, take what works, discard what doesn't. And there is kind of an underlying foundation to all of them that we can borrow from and create our own thing. And so the body tribe template became, let's find what works for us and let's pursue what we want to do. And so it, uh, my entire program design is centered around skill building and thinking of everything in terms of skills. Um, the squat, for instance, is a skill, but it's a fairly low level skill. It's not something we're going to do on a daily basis unless we're unloaded. An unloaded squat can be a daily skill. People do it all the time. But a loaded squat is not actually a skill we're going to pursue. So what is the benefit of it? Well, it can help bigger skills. So let's look at the squat as a movement, as a, you know, a, a lower level skill to help bigger skills. But you have to put programming in place for that to happen. A squat doesn't automatically help these other skills. So when we start looking at skill building, first of all, we stop worrying about anything like uh, uh, aesthetic training, because first of all, you're going to look better when you train well. It's kind of, it kind of happens. Now, if you want to look your best, that's a whole different story. But let's work on being able to do more stuff. And that's the big goal with my trainings. Let's let's do. I want I want us to get good in the gym so we can get the hell out of the gym and actually have a movement practice. And it, it, to me, it's kind of a bummer that a great majority of people who are gym goers, which, by the way, is such a small percent of our population anyway. It's Definitely. only about 15% of the population that's actively involved in purposeful movement. Now, you take that percentage and... And you realize that most of those 15% don't actually have a movement practice beyond the gym. The gym is their movement practice. Well, I always thought the gym was supposed to train us so we could go do other stuff. 
Now, if I'm just training to get better at the gym, well, that's a sport. That's called CrossFit. But if you have actually training in the gym to be able to leave the gym and have a life that involves more movement, um, then you really need to look at your training and realize and, and, and think about, is it based on skill building or am I simply uh, uh, following some dogmas that have been in place for many, many years? And that's I think that's important. And yet I don't hear people talking about skill building a lot. It's all about movements and muscles, movements and muscles. That's great. What's it leading to? What's the, what's the big plan? Yeah. I often asked, even when I do seminars now, especially more lately is <clears throat> especially to rip on fitness professionals because we're, we're both ones, we can rip on our own people. Right. And I'm like, how many of you have anything you do for recreation? Yeah. Like, I, I don't give a crap what it is. Play ping pong. Like, mm -hmm. obviously, I'm biased to kiteboarding, surfing, mountain biking, snowboarding, that type of stuff. But I, I don't care what it is. Golf, pick a sport. And it's amazing to me how many people train a lot but have nothing else that they're really interested in. And even within training, a lot of times, they can't give you a specific goal, right? Because on the outside, looking in general population would assume that if you're in the profession, then you must be competitive in some nature, powerlifting, grip strength, CrossFit, whatever. But even if you're not competitive, you're just looking to look better, gain strength, which is cool to, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm getting old, like to what end, right? What is it going to transfer to? And I, you've probably heard of the analogy of the, the sea slug before. Hmm. So the, the sea slug like floats around the ocean all the time and it finds a rock and it sticks to the rock and that's where it stays the rest of its life and it eats its own brain <laughs> because it doesn't have to move again. Hey, that's right? the fitness industry as a whole, that, I think. I'm like, exactly. I'm like, I feel like the, the industry is becoming more like sea slugs where it's just like, don't do recreation, just do this one thing and then you'll be fine. And I just, I, and ah, actually just made a sport out of it. The sport of fitness. Oh, definitely. That, come on now. <laughs> yeah. and, and i mean you 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 hit the nail on the head when you see all these fitness pros through their social media and you see them always in in their posts working out and my question always is what are you going to do with that mm -hmm. i'd rather see goal? yeah i'd rather see people showing me how they're living their life you know uh, i'm out here whether whether it's physically or maybe even more importantly they're taking that that strength and ability and skill and applying it their life in other ways. You know, if I see um, a trainer uh, showing me how they work in an animal rescue on weekends, okay, I get that. I get that. That's, you know, I train to be able to help. Awesome. I think that's one of the, the big purposes. You know, I, mean, I talk about purpose all the time in my books and my workshop, and we don't often define what our purpose is. And so if I see people just posting about their workouts all the time, that's like, that would be like a, a following a student on Instagram who's always showing you that they're doing the equation, but they're never showing you what the end result of their math actually is. And, and I don't want to see the work being done. I want to see where you're applying it and how it actually is, is manifesting. And that I, I talk about this in my more recent book where our training should reflect our value system. And I see a lot of abusive or disrespectful or disconnected training and yet i'm going to guess that's not part of their value system and so i would like people to start training through their value system and when you do that then you can actually take what you do in the gym 
and live your life with it, take it with you. And I, you know, the, a lot of people talk about how they live for the gym. I'd much rather use the gym to go live. And that's a whole different concept. Um, and so hopefully as a trainer, if you're looking for a trainer, see what that trainer does in their life, see how it manifests. Are they, are they doing physical activity? Are they manifesting their strength through other means like, like uh, charities or helping families or, or being useful in their community? How is that strength manifesting itself? That's the trainer you want. That's how you want to assess your trainer, <clears throat> not through certifications or how much they can bench press. Yeah. And I think even for potential clients to think even bigger of, because <clears throat> you've worked with a lot of clients, like it, especially when I worked more general population was, oh, you know, I want to get a bigger bench press or, you know, I want to look better. And I'd always just keep asking them like, well, why? Like, why do you want to bench press? Right. And at some point, it, if you go deep enough, like most of the time, they'll admit they're like, well, you know, I, I'm getting older and I want to get down on the floor and play with my grandkids. Right. Or it would, I'm trying to get to the point where it would be some life skill or hobby or recreation or something else other than I just want a bigger bench press. Right. Because for me, especially for programming, <clears throat> yes, I'm going to get you the things that you want, but I have to keep in mind what does it transfer to? Right. So if you say, I want to get off the ground when I'm older and play with my grandkids and I'm prioritizing exercises. Meh, maybe I prioritize a Turkish getup then over a bench press, assuming you don't have any, you know, predilection to liking one over the other, right? Because it's going to give me the, the level to program to get you to your higher goals. And I think a lot of times for people, they haven't actively thought that far ahead yeah. and maybe it's just guys seem to be a little bit more stuck in the past of, well, when I was 18, I benched 225 and now I, the bar causes me pain, right? There's always sometimes things they want to get back to, but I always try to relate it to, you know, like you said, their life and, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, what do you want to be doing? Like, what is all this leading to? Like, well, improve your numbers. That's great. Um, but and you see this in sports too, right? I've talked to my, my buddy coach Cal Dietz a lot about this. If you've got a high level college athlete, uh, yeah, maybe take their squad from 315 to 405. Mm-hmm. Are they going to run faster? Meh. Let's say the 405 was a grinder and took four seconds. Yeah, I would argue you might have made them a little bit slower, yeah. but maybe just stay with 315, 350, whatever arbitrary cutoff we're using. Maybe just move that load a lot faster. Right. Or can you repeat that load at that speed with 30 seconds recovery, right? If you're a lineman or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Is, is it going to transfer to the sport that you're trying to get better at? Uh, but even that's hard because it's way easier if you're a strength and conditioning coach to show all your before and after numbers to whoever is grading you than it is to be <laughs> like, yeah, I definitely made him a better football player. It's like, yeah, yeah sports that are measured, you know, track and field, swimming, that type of thing where it's all measured. Yeah, you can determine pretty fast if it transferred. But, you know, hockey, tennis, whatever, those sports are, like Dan John says, a lot more fuzzy. So you you probably made them better, but it's it's, oof. it's a lot harder to determine if you did or not. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And, and yeah, you want to just uh, hold up the sheet and says that says, look, he benched this and now he benched that or, right. or the squat. Um, and... So I had a, a my 
two books ago it was called are you useful and that mm, was i like that that was a big thing that um i started realizing as i'm looking at all these posts of people who are that are pointing at their sheet and going look at what i can do in my workout now and, and the question kept popping up in my head but but yeah now what um you know let's say you got to that 800 pound squat if I saw that video of you squatting, I, my instant reaction would be, great, what are you going to do with that? I mean, it took you how many years to get there? How many skills had to fall away so you could get there? Um, that strength doesn't necessarily have any transfer to anything. Uh, it's not, how has that made you a better version of yourself? Because that is ultimately the goal of every single person who comes through the door of, of any gym is make a better version of ourselves. And yet we get some really twisted ideas of what that is. And you were mentioning, you know, goal setting. One thing that it's, it's tough to, to mention, and I, 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 it's tough to talk about is beginners, people who come to a gym, actually not even just beginners, but people who come to the gym in general, but especially beginners don't know how to set goals Yeah, because we can only set a goal as far as our experience allows us and if our experience is simply what the fitness industry has been selling us, then we're going to believe that all goals are going to be based on the scale or the mirror, you know, the aesthetic style goals. Or if we've been going to the gym for a while, we're going to believe that the, the goals are, are going to be based on those numbers and that, and that you know, that clipboard of, of our squat or bench or whatever. And yet those aren't really, truly fitness goals or strength goals or whatever, you know, those aren't necessarily useful goals. So, uh, I, I hate to say this, but if I get a new client, I'm just going to assume they actually don't quite know what their goals are. So one of my big jobs as a trainer is to start introducing them to what possibility is out there as goals. You know, these are things that you can choose. And I'm not necessarily bombarding them with this. I'm just kind of hinting at all these directions of how life can be lived. And it all points to outside the gym. <laughs> I'm like, look at that big life out there that you can go live and all these things that you can do. Um, there's so many possibilities of movement that aren't included in this gym. And so what we can do here is give you a foundation to then go explore. And that's, I think that's the best any trainer can do is give a foundation of ability and skill so they can then go explore. Then if they start exploring and they want to get more specific, that's fine. But such a great, big, beautiful world of possibility out there. Why are we limiting them to what we've been taught in the gym for so many years? Yeah. And that's kind of one of my maybe not so secret goals anymore now is, yeah, if I'm working with a new client, we'll have, you know, distinct goals of, you know, whatever it is you want to achieve, because I think people do need markers of progress and you do need something to move towards. Um, but like you said, I get even more excited when I shout out to one of my clients, Dr. Rachel, who, you know, started wake surfing this year, started doing a whole bunch of different things that she had never really done before. I was like, mm -hmm. Oh, that's so awesome. That like got me more excited than her hitting PRs in the gym, which was still great, but it's like, ah, you're now able and you feel confident to do these other recreation things, which, you know, she probably wouldn't have done a couple, couple of years ago. Um, so that gets me more excited because I think again, maybe cause I'm getting old is that you, those experiences that you have doing other things like those are the memories you're going to have like forever to me that's like a huge part of what makes people happy in life like yes enjoying the gym you know training all that stuff it's great um but you know the memories of especially doing something active 
you know, with friends, accomplishing other skills that you didn't think you could do before. Um, to me, that's like kind of more of like a ultimate purpose that I don't think it's talked about a lot. Everyone kind of intrinsically knows it, but they do kind of assume that, oh, you know, I'm older, I won't be able to do that. And like, even like kiteboarding, people are like, oh, I don't, I can't do that. I'm like, anybody can learn. Hey, good, your ass handed to you. Yeah, it's probably not a lot of fun to learn. But a buddy of mine learned when he was 71 years old, right? You know, so the, you can, if you're functional, you can do a lot more things than you you think is is possible. And as you expand that base, you have that positive transfer to do other things that you didn't think were possible. And it's just kind of like the upward spiral then instead of the, the downward or upward ascension instead of the downward spiral, right? Why aren't we more curious? I mean, that's the big thing that the, the industry does not promote curiosity. Oh, no, that's not good. What are you asking? Why questions? Are what are you doing? Why aren't we asking what the hell can we do? <laughs> Why aren't we looking at the world and going, can I get up on that? Can I go through that? Can I pick that up? Can I go do that? You know, that I, I want us to, to see the world from the eyes of an eight-year-old child because, you know, children have that non-judgmental movement approach where they approach movement sans judgment, just curiosity. So I just want to go try stuff. We can we can apply the adult system of training a foundation of strength for that, but let's keep that curiosity so we can take that foundation of strength and go do something with it. And like like you mentioned, there's this almost belief that it happens automatically, yeah. but it doesn't. I, I call it. I, I I give a shout out to South Park um, in my book <laughs> where I talk about the underwear gnomes. Do you remember the under underpants gnomes? No. So the underpants gnomes, they stole the underpants. They stole the kids' <laughs> underpants. And so the kids followed the underpants gnome to their lair and asked them, why are you stealing the underpants? And they busted out this chart and it said, step one, steal underpants. Step two, step three, profit. And so everybody asked, well, what's step number two? And everybody looked around and said, step three, profit. <laughs> it was just automatically assumed that somehow <laughs> step one led to step three. Step two is blank. And that's how we treat fitness. It's like we're, we're sold the idea that go to the gym, step two. Step three, a better us. You know, a better version of us somehow mis- uh, magically happens. But no one talks about what step number two is. And, and I, I go into several chapters of it in my book about, you know, what, what is that step number two? What, first of all, I can guarantee you that going to the gym doesn't automatically make you a better person because I've been in dozens, if not hundreds of gyms and met thousands of people who have done this training stuff. And not all of them are particularly great people or any better than they were when they started. Um, so it doesn't necessarily make you that better version. So, so it's not automatic. Is, yeah, it's not automatic. So what is that step two? And that's, I think that's an important thing that we need to look at in our own programming and our own training, especially for trainers. What are we doing to actually get people to make a better version of themselves. What is, how, how is that going to manifest outside of our perimeters and dogma so that they actually are the best version of themselves that we can get them to? Like you were talking about uh, uh, the client who went kiteboarding. You actually gave them opportunity. How cool is that? You said, I'm going to help you here and it's going to manifest this way. When we can give people opportunity, um, that's when we're doing our job, but it doesn't automatically happen. Yeah, I think of it as similar, giving them base skills that also transfer. So like I said, when I'm setting up a program, I'm like, yeah, we'll get you to the thing you said, but I'm also 
want to make sure that it transfers outside of that. And I'm going to have you measure the cost of doing whatever said thing is too. So you have like your kind of your, your guardrails. And if the cost starts becoming exponentially high, that's not for me to decide, but I'm going to make you aware of, of this. And then you have to re-examine if it's going to be worth it or not. Right. So yeah. if you use the example of an 800 pound squat, yeah, I know some people who squatted 800 and that's cool. It's extremely impressive. It's way more than I'll probably ever squat in my life. However, on a day-to-day basis, what I want their movement patterns and level of pain that it took them to do that. No, I don't like pain at all. I'm kind of a wuss in that category because it limits me doing other things. Um, but I think a lot of times we forget what the cost is to do the thing. And I'm perfectly fine if someone says, I want to squat 800. I don't care. If I have to live with a pain out of eight to 10, this is what I want to do. Cool. If that's what you really, really want to do. Okay. That's your choice. But I think a lot of times people say stuff like that, but when it actually starts getting closer, then they start reevaluating. A lot of times we don't ever mention the cost, whether it's heart rate variability, eating food, sleeping, relationships, relationships, time away, all these other things. It's just one of those things that just gets kind of swept under the rug and it just, it looks better to be just, just, just more hardcore and just try harder. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're in a strange situation in our world where we don't have the rites of passage that we had a hundred, a thousand, 2000, 5,000 years ago. Yeah. That's, um, that's another human characteristic that I think we, we need is somehow we need rites of passage. And since we're not, being uh, uh, swept up into into uh, wars every three or four years, like we might have done two thousand years ago if we lived in Greece or Macedonia, um, you know, we, the rites of passage that were, were culturally accepted aren't there, and so we've been, we've had to create our own. And I think the training, uh, the workout is is the modern rite of passage, and we also come from a culture that believes that the greater the suffering, the greater the reward. And so the rite of passage has to be suffering. And somehow that's, that's good for us. And that's kind of ridiculous. So I'm, I'm hoping we can understand that training is supposed to actually make you better, a better version of you. And it doesn't necessarily have to kill you in the process. The, the idea that we have to be um, chewed up and spit out to be better, I think is, um, in this day and age, we have to understand that maybe that's not the way it is anymore. Yeah. And I think there's still a place to do hard things and we need more of that and challenge. But again, it comes back to, I probably harp on this too much is that what is the, what is the cost of, of doing that? Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm big into, you know, cold water immersion, things like that, Mm -hmm. you know, horrible shit you can do on the rower, go push your car, all that kind of stuff. But the reason I like those is because they're hard, but the risk isn't necessarily very high, yeah. right? There's a pretty large safety margin there, but it's still hard. It sucks. It's not something you're going to choose to do all the time compared to things that are very difficult, but carry a very high risk associated with them. And if you're hundred percent fully aware of the risk and you take a progressive gradual manner to get there. And that's what you want to do. Cool. That's awesome. But I, I don't think a lot of times people take into account the risk and not to rip on CrossFit again, but 
people see CrossFit and they're like, oh yeah, I, I've never Olympic lifted. I'll do snatches for high reps under high levels of fatigue. It's like, have you ever done any skill under fatigue? No, but I'll be fine. I probably not. <laughs> That's an extremely advanced skill to be able to pull that off. Like the people who are doing that and not, you know, destroying their shit are really good at doing that and have put in years, if not decades to practice that specific skill. But that often gets lost, I think, in the conversation. There's again, it's, it's coming back to the suffering challenge is, is the one thing that creates change in our life. All change yes. tends to come from challenge, but again, we're going to believe that challenge has to be suffering and it right. doesn't challenge is challenge, but it, but it, it, suffering is, is a whole different animal. Challenge can be suffering, but like you're saying, we don't have to associate great deals of risk with challenge. Um, I know one thing you're trying to do is you're, you're uh, uh, gearing up for, you're trying to build up to a Thomas inch dumbbell lift. Yes. Um, and you're up to the, 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 the smaller Thomas inch dumbbell, which was 130, something like that. Pretty close. I got a, I tilted the shit out of it the other day, but I got a lift with two plate mates on it with the 135. So, which I mean, cause you had three dumbbells and the heaviest one was 172, which I think is your ultimate goal. Yeah. I got a 175. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I think the lighter two are around what you're doing now. So, you know, you can say you're doing a Thomas and dumbbell. It's just not the, the biggest one. Right. But, uh, but that challenge right there, that's a huge challenge. I, people probably won't rock how hard that actually yeah. is unless they try it because <laughs> it's really quite hard. But what's the worst that's going to happen to you if you fail? It's yeah. not like, or even if you succeed and you have to work really hard to do it, it's, it's not like what you're talking about, the high rep snatch scenario yeah. where, you're uh, you're putting your body under potentially dangerous, weird load that it needs years of training to catch up to. Um, so yeah, challenge is, is what makes the world turn and what makes us change as human beings. But it doesn't always have to be utterly, painfully, sufferingly dangerous. Yeah, and that's why I like with a lot of clients, like having obviously I do group stuff, so I like programming it. But it's a way to challenge them that's actually low risk. Right, which I don't think people generally comprehend. Right. So I could drop the 172, 175 pound inch on somebody's feet, not hit them, be like, hey, bro, just try to pick this up. And, you know, for people listening, it's like 175 pound one hand deadlift is not that hard for people who have trained. Right. That's very yeah. doable ish. Yeah. But when you have the globes on the end that don't rotate and the handle is the size of a Coke can, yeah. the, and, the and it's thing just narrow. You pretty know, narrow right it's about that wide grip. it it just the rotation you need to stop that rotation and support it with your fingers is just exceedingly high yeah but if people don't make it like and i've got a 100 pound replica and it's like uh even with dudes who lift i'd say it's a 50 50 chance if they can even get a 100 pound replica up but if they don't make it they just can't lift it they don't move right it's, right. <laughs> it's pretty pretty safe so mm. when i did more in-person training here I would have, you know, some younger guys would come in and the deadlift, like always scared me doing their eval. Um, I remember years ago, I've told this story before we did the, the tactical strength challenge and a buddy of ours came down from North Dakota. And he round backed at 455 for a single. My buddy, Adam Glass and I were sitting next to each other, looking at each other and he walked away and he was fine. And we're like, on one hand, that's extremely impressive that he did that and didn't blow a disc across the gym and it's fine. 
On the other hand, that's so scary. I never want to see that again. (laughs) Like pretty high risk. But yet, if you go double overhand and you put a two-inch like non-grooved axle in somebody's hand, their grip's going to fail way before they're going to get close to their deadlift strength. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of times, I'd have people do double overhand axle. Like, oh, my deadlift isn't going to get better. It's like, you need to work on your form first. And this is kind of a stopgap to make sure that you don't load it so heavy. Mm -hmm. Right. I've only seen one guy, my buddy Tanner, who's like one of the top grip athletes in the world, who his grip is legitimately so strong that he could do some damage to his low back. But I mean, he's a freak, right? I mean, there's just not that many people out there that can do that. If they have, they train long enough. So they have all the supporting musculature and it's not a big deal. Um, But yeah, I think there's ways you can challenge people without necessarily assuming that you're going to add a whole bunch of risk to them either. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if we take it to something that's not as weird as, as the, the Thomas inch dumbbell, um, (laughs) you know, we can create very challenging programming for people without it being particularly dangerous. And, And again, if I'm talking about training for my value system, I value respect. I value appreciation and I value love. I don't value abuse. Yeah. So why would I uh, pick a particularly abusive relationship with my body through a training protocol that manifests that as uh, the way to create a, a better version of me, if that's not what my value system is. And that's, that's why I, I don't like seeing people beat themselves up because it makes me think, what, what do you think about yourself that you're doing that to yourself? Do you talk about, mental state when people are lifting i'll leave it as a vague question it's it's i ask a lot how do you feel and i ask a lot uh uh, um, about during and after because one thing i noticed everybody will tell you you know they might come to the gym grumpy and then they leave feeling better that's that's sort of the cliche i came here feeling and i leave feeling great what about during what's happening during And, and so i found that for me, this worked really well. And a lot of my clients started to pick up on it. That if I can, during the process of whatever challenging thing I'm doing, let's say I'm doing a squat and I'm doing a pretty heavy squat and it's challenging. Can I actually be present and just think to myself, wow, look what I can do in this moment. You know, maybe it's not my heaviest weight. I don't care. I'm, I'm a human being who's doing this thing. And that's pretty cool. So why can't we smile during challenge, during an exercise, um, I find that that turns people around so much. Uh, that smile on your face, that acceptance and appreciation of what you can do in that moment um, just makes not just the set better, but it's going to make the entire workout uh, more, more grounded, more part of your actual experience instead of letting it make you feel better so you leave feeling better. Um, I think we can actually be more present and get that mental state uh, where we can appreciate, hey, look at what I can do. This is so cool. Um, and that way, we're, we're, we don't defeat ourselves that much. You know, I, I see a lot of defeatism in the gym. Uh, what, what was the old term? Where you should on yourself? Yeah. I should yeah. do this. I should do that. Yeah. Don't um, shit all over yourself. <laughs> yeah, don't shit all over yourself. And, and, and I see that a ton in the gym where people uh, – think that they're always supposed to be making progress, progress, progress. And what they don't understand is showing up might be all the progress they need that day. 
And it, uh, if, if we can manifest that feeling of, wow, look at what I can do, not what I think I'm supposed to do or, or you know, what somebody else's idea of what I'm supposed to do. Those, those charts and everything that say you're supposed to squat double body weight, you're supposed mm-hmm. to be able to deadlift two and a half, whatever. If we can bypass all that and just understand in the moment, I do some pretty cool stuff, you know, then our, I think our whole mental attitude will change. Now, I got to point out though, for some people, and this is totally cool, I get it. Um, sort of like what music probably is for you and I, in many cases, we need what I call the tension release valve or mm-hmm. the anger release valve. And sometimes you got to go to the gym and you got to tear something up and you have to get angry because that's how you manifest your anger. So the rest of your life isn't angry. And I get that. Sometimes it's just good for your mental state to be angry in that moment. And, and that's, you know, that's, I've seen that work for a lot of people. It's, and I've applied that myself when I compete, and in, in I competed in this weird sport called Moss Wrestling. Yeah. And when I compete in Moss Wrestling, I actually have to go to that place. And it's a real scary place. And I only reserve that for competition days because it's a really frightening place. But I can see how people sometimes need to do that. Uh, it was uh, it was a Dave Tate that yeah. had an alter ego named Zippy. Yeah. <laughs> and Zippy was this crazy madman and he had to release Zippy when he worked out. And that way yeah. he could be calm and normal Dave Tate the rest of his life. That works too. So I think we're all, we're all going to have a different journey, but we have to define what that journey is and what works best for us because we're often told what that journey is supposed to look like. Like certain gyms have atmospheres that you sort of have to obey. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see this a lot in CrossFits, but it's also very prevalent in powerlifting. Heck, even yoga gyms. You have to be a certain way at a yoga gym. There's these tropes that we almost have to follow when we go to certain situations. And that's, I think what we need instead is a space that allows us to find what our own journey and what our own vision is going to, uh, what's going to work best for us. Yeah. With clients, I often tell them that if you need to do a hard workout for your mental sanity, cool. I, I get it. Right. That's, in terms of a release, that's probably the best place to go. Yeah. But in my head, I'm also thinking, I'm like, hmm, could you do that less and less and find other releases? And can you at least be a little bit aware of the, like we talked about, the risk? Because my my fear mm. is what I've noticed anecdotally is that those people tend to get injured a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's because they're, they're in that state where they're not thinking about the risk. And again, that is a pro and a con, right? I mean, if you're trying to do something very difficult, you don't want to be under a heavy bar thinking, Hmm, what could go wrong here? Right. I mean, that's not the time and place to, to think about that. Um, but I do want them to be aware of the cost and think, are there other outlets they could use also, or potentially even less risky movements? right? Maybe get on a rower and do a 2k or a 500 meter, maybe not pick a heavy back squat, you know, right. you know, like, like battle ropes might a be little a bit. Say again, maybe you want to do battle ropes at that point instead right. of the uh, triple body weight deadlift. Right. Right. So that's one thing, but at the same point, it's, I don't want to deter them from doing that because that is 
probably way better than a whole list of other things they could do that would take them down very dark, not so good beneficial paths. Yeah. Um, as long so, as it doesn't perpetuate itself and become another type of abusive loop. Right. That's my fear is that they'll create some chaos in their life that they can solve in the gym. And that pattern then sort of repeats. Yeah. And then my biggest fear is that if they get injured and they can't lift the way they used to, mm. Oh, what do they do then? And I've had right. that happen to a couple of clients in the past. And one of them scared shit out of me. Like I referred the person out to a psychologist. I'm like, you need, you need to talk to someone because they got so stuck in their own head that they couldn't, lift the way they did before and exercise their own demons that it started becoming a big thing. And again, I'm not saying it's going to happen to everyone. That's common enough that we do have to keep an eye out for it. I've, I've dealt with similar situations. Yeah. And I mean, even transitioning from college to working, like I had to get used to lifting again, not being stressed out of my mind, right? Most of my college career was spent lifting was just the escape to get some movement so that I could feel sane and I could actually concentrate again to get any you know homework or anything else done. Mm-hmm. And once that was removed, it was kind of like, oh, this is weird. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I'm on my own. Oh, no. Yeah. And your point about, I think, a buddy of mine, Frankie Asparagus, said it was like state before skill. So the one thing I think I did correct when I was training here people more often is that, like you said, my whole goal was that they just leave better than when they came in. Yes, we're going to work on stuff. Yes, you're going to make progress. But I allowed myself the flexibility. So as long as they walked out the door and they felt better, even if they didn't do anything more productive or we didn't you know, obey the laws of progressive overload or whatever, right. I knew that they would feel better and they would come back. And a, a longtime client came over once. He, he drove like an hour across town in traffic. Uh, I trained in my, my house here. I open my front door and he just like passes out on my living room floor, curls up in the fetal position. I'm like, dude, like what are you going to throw up on my carpet? Like what's going on? He's like, oh man, I don't feel good. I'm like thinking you could have told me like, you can't make the session. You could come another day. We could reschedule. You know, he's a client at that point for a year and a half. I'm like, it, it, it's cool. I'm like, why did you drive an hour in traffic to come over here and just lie in the fetal position on my living room floor? And he's like, because when I leave, I'll feel better. <laughs> and at the time, like, I I didn't quite get it, you know? And so I'm thinking, God, what the hell am I going to do with this guy? So just had him started doing some floor mobility, did some Z-Health stuff, some joint mobility, got him up walking around, wasn't nauseous. I said, okay, let's just go to the gym. Like, what do you want to work on? He's like, oh, I'll try some bench press. I'm like, I oh, will just stay lighter. And like an hour later, he set like a PR and like skipped out of here. Like he felt amazing. <laughs> and I realized I'm like, holy shit. Like un- he didn't even know. I talked to him about it later. Like he didn't even know what he was saying. Yeah. Unconsciously, his body learned that whenever I left, I felt better. So if I just get to this weird dude's house and collapse on his living room floor, <laughs> somehow I'll feel better. <laughs> very, very Pavlovian. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think that's also good business for trainers, right? Cause you want people to come back. Like even if you have a session that on paper, wasn't that good, but they leave feeling good. Odds are they're going to come back the next day and you can do more things with them. But if they get frustrated, injured, they quit, they're out of the process. They may never even do formal exercise again in their life. Who knows? You know, if you just get another chance to, to work with them, I think that's yeah. progress. 
their workout with us that day might be the only, to whatever degree it is, might be the only success they have that day. Oh, hundred percent. And, and so it doesn't have to necessarily be huge. You know, if, if uh, that's why you don't have to PR every day, you just have to move. And again, that's why I say showing up, there's your first success. And, you know, I can picture the guy on the floor, something in his body was just like, if we show up, we did that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that that's, we can chalk that up because everything else fell apart earlier in the day. And, and so I, I get that. That's awesome. And if, if, so after a while of training people for a while, I thought, well, now let's see if, if we can do this, if we can have them focus more during the workout to see, you know, why they're feeling good and why, how we can build that appreciation. then maybe that's one of the things they can actually take with them too. So if we can build the presence of, you know, that, like I mentioned, the appreciation, you know, I'm here doing this thing, look what I can do. I'm hoping they can take that through the door and in their day-to-day life, they can think, I got up this morning. That's how I showed up that way. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing stuff. I live a life. This is cool. I can appreciate things better. Yeah. My big thing lately is just violent consistency, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, if you look at anyone who's achieved anything, yes, there's broad talent, there's outliers, but if you go to a high enough level, like no one got there without just showing up day in and day out. Yeah. Yes. You have to do, you know, intelligent things. Don't get hurt. All that kind of stuff. But you have to show up. And I, I even think about the example I've used for clients is, is Oprah, you know, very public person, obviously has gained weight, lost weight many times in her life, has a whole bunch of money. She can hire someone to be a chef. She could hire someone to walk around to, to basically do everything for her, but no one can replace her doing the work, lifting the weights, eating the food, whatever. Right. And you can substitute in with elite athletes, drugs, you know, whatever that, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Like no one is ever going to do the work for you. There's no magical drug that's going to do all the work for you. It's one of those things where you, you just have to put in the effort day in and day out to, to see the reward. And there's just, there's shorter ways to get there, but there's no way to circumvent that entirely. Yeah. I like to say that the recipe for transformation is three key things. Um, uh, Consistency, intensity, and purpose. Yes, I like that. Um, because consistency and intensity would be would be the, the spark that starts the flame. Consistency turns into a fire and then purpose directs it. And if you uh, lack any one of those, um, you might not quite get where you're going. Uh, for instance, the big one that people don't talk about is purpose. You can you yep. can you know the transformation is not always a good thing. Sometimes we transform from the good wizard to the dark wizard. You know, it's there's there's uh, historically a lot of bad transformations, and so that's why we have to dial in our purpose. What what is it exactly we're going to transform into? Um, and then you need that intensity as long as it's not the you know dangerous risk that we're talking about. We're not perpetually throwing dangerous risks at ourselves. Um, and then, like you said, we've got to do it again and again. we got to light that fire again and again and again and again and again. And so those, yeah, that in, in my, one of my books, I talk about that as that's the transformation recipe. And that's not much intensity, simplest uh, intensity, consistency, and purpose. Not a lot. You just have to define what that means. Yeah. And purpose. I know Dr. Brian Walsh has talked a lot about this too. Like people who don't have a purpose in terms of impact on longevity. It's, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it's, it's pretty high. Mm. Right. So, and you see this in people who generally, I think, maybe I'll use the word happier 
most of them that I know are pretty passionate and are pretty clear on what their purpose is. I don't think you have to be 100% clear on what you're doing for the rest of your life. You just have to know enough to do the next step. I think you can get too caught up in that trying to think 20 years down the line of like, oh, I'm doing this job I hate now and I'm, you know, marking pet food cans on an assembly line or whatever. And, but you may have enough purpose to just think, what is the next beneficial thing I can do? And I think for a lot of people, that's enough. So I don't think you need to be super worried if you don't know what your grand purpose in your life is. I think it can be a a smaller scale thing too. And yeah, people get, I think, too hung up on trying to know everything into the future. And and that's not helpful either. (laughs) We don't ever have to know what we're going to be when we grow up. No. (laughs) We just have to kind of want things. What, What do I want to be? What do I... What feels like, like you said, small step, what, what, what's tomorrow going to look like? What's the next day going to look like? What would I like that to look like? What would my purpose be? Um, And that leads into, you know, goal setting with clients. We have to start asking them. One of the things I like to do with clients is, is define what strength means Um, because, or or fitness, you use the word fitness Mm -hmm. too, because we start defining them metaphysically beyond physically. They might have very similar definitions and, I mean, you know, you can talk about the physical definition, the ability to generate force, but if, if that's not usually how we use strength when we're talking to each other, you know, in, in day-to-day life, we're talking meta beyond physical ideas of strength, strength of character. Um, and so I ask people, what does strength mean? And the way we get there is I ask a, another question, which is fairly simple. Um, why is it important? And once they start answering that, they have their definition of what it is. It's, it's that simple. Once you answer their question, why is strength important? That's what strength is. And then, oh, look, that, look how easy it is to set goals from that place. If I say, you know, if I ask you why is strength important and you say, like you mentioned earlier, I'd like to be able to play with my kids. That's what strength is. You know, your ability to, to be useful and playful with your family. Cool. I know how to train you for that. We got goals now. You know, what, what, you know, exercises and movements and stuff, that's easy to figure out. But when you have that purpose, um, and then we're going to add the consistency you were talking about, I'll create the intensity. Boom, there's your little recipe for transformation. And uh, yeah, you're going to have, you're going to have your purpose. I think that also gives you sort of top end numbers too. Like I've had this discussion with a buddy, Dr. Tommy Wood and Dr. Ben House and a bunch of other people of if my purpose, let's say, is to increase longevity, right? We'll just use that as an example to live Mm -hmm. a longer life, to do more things, whatever things you want to do. We know that like lower body strength, muscle mass is part of that, but we don't really know how much is enough, Mm -hmm. right? If you can deadlift 225, 315, 400, 500, 600, I would guess that once you start hitting 400, I, you're, you may be on that part of the curve where it just starts right. to flatten out, right? right? We see this in all physiologic systems. If you look at something as simple like Ponzer's published stuff on step count and energy uh, burn, once you hit about 15,000 steps, if you go from 15,000 steps to 20,000 steps a day, do you burn more calories? Kind of, but it's pretty damn flat, right? Your body just gets more and more efficient. You don't really burn that many more calories. Now, if you go from, you know, 2000 to 7,000, yeah, that's a big difference. Yeah. Right. So I think the assumption is always that it must be this linear thing that 
if I did the 400, then 500 is going to be that much better. And 600 is going to be even better. It's like, yeah. man, you, you might have enough already. And now your cost, your risk starts escalating. And I think well, it's now, a different thing if that's what you want to do. Right. right. If you say, like, I want to lift the Thomas Cinch dumbbell. Why do I want to do that? No other reason than I, I think it'd be fun. Yeah. Like, I don't have any big existential reason. It's not going to transfer that much to my kiteboarding at some point. It, you know, I probably have enough grip strength for longevity. It's just something that I want to do because I think it's cool. Mm-hmm. And nothing wrong with that as long as people understand that that's the reason why you want to do it. That's a good reason. <laughs> yeah. Well, that takes us back to the 800 pound squat. To get to the 800 pound squat, yeah, it probably lost all of its potential to help you with other things at 400 or 500 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> You're probably not going to get any stronger at anything else but the squat past that point. You know, like those steps, those extra steps are not really doing anything for you. So, what do you have to sacrifice to get there? Um, and it, we mentioned it earlier everything from um, other skills to speed to relationships to to uh, uh, money because you're gonna have to eat more food i mean all these things so you know what does that 800 pound squat mean and you're talking about the thomas inch yeah that's there's not a lot of sacrifice there it's not like you're going to um yeah. uh make a, a a worse pained uh struggling version of yourself by getting there but but you would with an 800 pound squat most of us would with getting to big numbers like that. So we have to really define what the purpose is. <laughs> Good Lord. Yeah. And as I get older too, I always, I think more about what constraints I'm going to put on myself. Right. So one of my goals is, you know, to lift the Denny stones and it's still on my list, but if I'm honest, I've transitioned more to the Thomas inch dumbbell would be a higher goal. So I spent more time doing that. <laughs> I think part of it is just for the reasons you outlined it's there's less risk, you know, honestly, if I want to do the Denny's, which I can, I mean, Christ, a 140 pound female just did them at the, the Rogue at the Arnold, which was so crazy to see. I don't think people understand how batshit crazy it is to do that without straps. Yeah. Um, so can it, is it possible? Yeah. But I also know that I don't want to get up to, you know, the highest I ever got to embody what was close to 250 when I did a couple of novice strongmans was back in school. I was pretty fat at that time, <laughs> you know? So I think there's also, limits on what I want to do to get to get there right and I think discussing what those limits of what people want to do to get there is is useful because again Mm -hmm. that gives you kind of your guardrails whether it's performance enhancing drugs health body weight you know food like you said relationships etc and I think as older I get I'm, I'm more in tune with goals that are still difficult are still a challenge but you know, my buddy Adam Glass has been picking up the inch dumbbell for years and he, you know, he did it at a body weight of like 210, mm-hmm. right? So for grip stuff, adding a ton of body weight, it's not necessarily going to transfer to make it better. And if my goal is not to get super fat, then that, that kind of lines up a little bit better with kind of where I want to be in the future too. So I think taking into account the costs and everything else, somebody else may say, I want to squat 800 pounds and I don't care if I weigh 320 pounds to do it. Cool. Great. You know, each person has to decide what those limits are. But again, having that discussion around that now versus later is more useful. (laughs) And then, and that's one thing experienced trainers can do. We can tell you what it's going to take to get there and how much it's going to suck and what's good, what you're going to lose in the process. And I mean, you know, my book was called, am I useful? 
um, well, it's called, are you useful? And, <laughs> and that's the big goal is I want for, for me personally and, and how I teach people, if you come to me as a client, chances are that we're going to work towards making you the best version of yourself. And my, my goal, I, I say this a lot. I want you to be your best, not the best, because those yeah. are two different things. And if I'm going to be useful, if I'm going to be use, a useful tribe member, then that 800 pound squad is not going to help. It's not, it's going to get in the way. It's going to, it's going to isolate me. Um, it's going to hurt me. It's going to probably lead to uh, choices later that I can't even have. Like uh, one of the things I say a lot is better choices now leads to more choices later. Mm. And the opposite of that is true too. Poorer choices. Now you have less choices later. So I, I want people to start realizing what you're choosing to do now uh, is going to dictate how your journey is going to go the rest of your life. So if I want to be useful, um, my training is going to have to reflect that part of my value system, that 800 pound squat. And again, we can replace 800 pound squat with a bunch of different things. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the pinnacle of, of any movement practice might not be where you want to go. You maybe don't want to, uh, you know, free solo that cliff over there. Maybe yeah. you don't, maybe <laughs> doing a one-handed, whatever, whatever in your yoga class is not going to be the best thing for you. Cause it's going to take ages to get there. Oh, it reminds me of this Saturday night live skit. Was it Will Ferrell who was trying to trying to go down on himself in a yoga class? Oh, I didn't see that and one. <laughs> and he was, and he stayed in that class in that very room for months and months and months until he was finally able to do it. His whole life fell apart around him. And yeah. So anyway, there's, there's that where you're, you, you lose so much to get to that thing. So be the best, be your best and not necessarily the best. And that's something I, I like to really drill into people. Yeah. I remember talking to uh, powerlifter AJ Roberts about this uh, a couple of years ago when we were out at dinner in Vegas and uh, the document on Louis Simmons had just come out, which if people haven't seen it, it's definitely worth watching. I think, and I asked him, I said, hey, aren't you going back to Westside to lift again at some point? And I was just kind of joking because I knew he wasn't. And he kind of looked at me, he goes, he's oh. like, I saw that document come out. I was, I thought about it for a while, but he's like, right now with the family and everything, his wife was sitting across the table and you could see her like just shaking her head. He's like, it's, it's just not possible with where I'm at in my life now. Because he's like, I know if I did that, like I would be back to where I was before, right? right? And he's like, I... I went there, I did the goal I wanted to do. Yeah. He's like, I probably got closer to paying a high cost than what I realized at the time, but I did the thing I wanted to do. He's like, and I know if I get anywhere close to that environment again, he's like, I can't self-regulate myself to not want to do crazy shit again. So he's like, I just stay away from that entirely. So that was a very wise decision because you could tell he had thought about it and put a lot of thinking into it and knowing that it's just, I can't even start down that path because it's not going to end well. <laughs> I've, I've come out of, uh, gone into and come out of strongman competition retirement multiple times now. Mm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm 51, so I'm, you know, theoretically not supposed to be doing it anymore, but I've never been, <laughs> at, I've never been at this, you know, crazy level where I'm at serious risk. I'm a, I'm a small guy. I'm 170 pounds. I'm never going to compete heavier than that. I have no desire to. Um, I'm never going to compete at a national level. I've been, I've qualified for masters. Uh, I've qualified for nationals multiple times, and I'm like, that's a level I 
I don't need to go there because it's yeah. going to hurt me in the long run. <laughs> and a couple of times I tried to retire from the sport and then a fun local meet pops back up and I'm like, yeah, I'll go do that one. I got one coming up this weekend. Actually, it's a, it's a fundraiser called Relentless Nashville. And it's a fundraiser for Hope Kids, which is an awesome organization. Oh, nice. And so, yeah, a friend of mine, Chad, was putting it on. He's like, do you want to do it? Yeah, looks yeah. <laughs> it's within my wheelhouse. I don't have to train super hard for it. I'm not going to sacrifice anything. Um, so I can do that. And that that keeps things fun, but uh, <clears throat> that that keeps things fun. And it allows me to also be able to do the other things I want. You know, thankfully that I'm at a level there where, where I've trained long enough and I've, I've, I've understood the journey well enough that I can hop into a meet, but also still go climb the trees and do the weird shit I do. And, you know, and make these videos of, of me exploring the world that isn't a competition of some sort and, you know, move in many ways for many reasons. It's, it's not just about lifting heavy things. Uh, you, you've got a whole slew of, of, uh, sports that you do the everything from the uh kite surfing to the mountain biking and everything and that's um that's the manifestation of your training yeah so if our training can manifest in a in a layered joyful and profound movement practice then i think ultimately we are a more useful human that way whereas if we're doing one thing and we're trying to be the best at that one thing um we've narrowed ourselves down so much that we've actually become if, to use the term kind of useless and that's uh that's that's potentially dangerous yeah and i think the environments you decide to play in make a big difference in terms of risk and accepting that so yeah i try to uh, reduce as much risk as i can you know kiteboarding following safety and mm-hmm. you know all those kind of things even practicing looking if conditions are not the best or you're not feeling good of just walking away which early on was very hard for me because your thought process is like, Oh, you're just a big pussy. Go out and do it. Versus <laughs> am I scared? Is it unsafe? You know, how, how far to, to kind of push that. And I think I've gotten better with that, but I've also gotten better with accepting the risk that, you know, if I'm going to jump 20 feet in the air and something goes wrong, then there's a huge potential that it's going to go really wrong, <laughs> <laughs> you know, versus, in the gym, which I feel is a more controlled environment where I have very little, I mean, freaks things happen, but for me personally, I have very little tolerance of creating any pain or injury in the gym, because to me, that's a controlled environment where I'm the only person affecting it. I don't have outside factors that could change things. So for me, if I catastrophically injured myself in the gym, that's that's an unacceptable risk to me, but doing other things, mountain biking, whatever there's by nature of that sport, there is just more risk. And yes, you want to modify it, but I think you also have to be okay with what amount of risk are you going to accept for what you want to do. And again, I think most people starting training, I just see a lot of people get injured in the gym who are not necessarily competitive and it wasn't in a competition and normally you ask me like well why did this happen well you know i had this pain for like nine months and i just thought it would go away or there's usually some warning sign that they just chose not to pay attention to and Mm -hmm. and i've done that many many times in the past myself so i'm by no means 
immune to it. But uh, the question I always ask you, and I'll ask you this question too, is that if someone comes in, it's usually typically a guy who's like 22. Do you think you could train them or work with him enough that he would not make many mistakes where he would get injured? Or do you think that it it's just almost human nature where you have to make mistakes no matter what anybody else tells you? <laughs> so I, I like to think that within the system that I've created, first of all, by the time they come to me, they know what I do. You know, they've seen my videos or they've read my books or whatever, you know, they've been to my workshops and they know that I, I want to help them manifest a better relationship with their body. That being said, I I also like to think that my training promotes that idea. And, you know, we, we have that conversation between you and your body, but that being said, um, I also do like to foster curiosity and exploration. And sometimes if, if, if we're not careful, that can manifest in a gym. And so, yeah, you take a 22 year old and if they're curious and they want to see what they can do, it might happen in a workout. And so the best I can do is say, look, I'm going to teach you the fundamental basics and you're going to master those where you take those. If I'm involved, I'm going to help guide you. If I'm not, you, you, you might, go crazy but i'm hoping we can create a scenario where they where they uh where they choose the wiser but it's really hard to tell a kid that that the concept of better choices now leads to more right. choices later <laughs> that's that's a tough one and um and so yeah i i don't know because if you put me as a 22 year old i I was dumb as fuck and I, I yeah. still am, but <laughs> without the experience to back it up. So, um, yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, I've worked with a lot of kids and I, I like the fact that I've worked with everything from, you know, teenagers and with people. And stuff. General pop is my jam because I, I like to say I work with the misfits and uh, the people don't like the normal gym scenarios and I've trained a lot of high level athletes, but, um, generally they're the ones that are, are disenfranchised as well in some aspects. So I get a lot of the people who would not want to go to a normal gym. And so I like to think that um, I would, I would present a good path and, and, and be a good mentor on their, I, I like to call myself a movement doula where I just, you know, I help, <laughs> I help guide the birth of the journey. Um, but 22 year olds are stupid. I mean, let me rephrase that. Yeah. <laughs> 22 year olds can be reckless oh yeah and um so here's hoping and again we crave that rite of passage no matter how many times we're told yes that longevity is important we crave that rite of passage as human beings and so we might find it so if, the best i can do is say i'm going to help you lay down a foundation so if you do try stupid stuff you're less at risk yeah that's kind of my thought i would like to think there's a system or a philosophy or a way to prevent it but i guess my thought currently, and I always like asking other people this question too, is that can I set up uh, enough guardrails? So they're going to put the car in the ditch at some point. It's just going to happen. <laughs> and they just put the car in the ditch and not go off the cliff, right? Can they get enough of an injury that they learn, but not so much that they do something catastrophic, right? And I, I would like to think that people could learn before that, but I know... Pfft, I, st- I still have a hard time doing that now. 
one, one no. of our greatest expertise as people who've been in this for a while is understanding how many how many lessons are involved in hurting yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And usually that happens because you've hurt yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. Uh cool. As a wrap up, as you're traveling around, speaking of uh misfits, have you been out to Mark Fisher Fitness in New York City yet? No, but we're in contact with each other right now. Cool. Um because uh, they, uh, well, uh, Mark and his partner, uh, his business partner, oh, what's his name? Is it Ke- no. oh, Michael like, Keeland? Yeah. Right. And uh, he and I, w- w- I found out we were in a book together. Um, oh, nice. Uh, we both did this uh, this podcast. Um, and he, uh, the, the, the people who ran the podcast put it together in a book form. It was, it was Dan John, uh, myself, Frank Forensic, um, uh, Keeler um uh eric kenyon it's a bunch of people i've taught with before uh or or you know and knew he was the only one i didn't know and so i reached out to him and i said hey we're in a book together and we've been chatting back and forth <laughs> so i just sent him some copies of my book and i'm hoping to head up there i want to teach up there um trying to do some workshops uh in autumn on the east coast make a little east coast tour nice yeah he's awesome he's one of my clients too and uh just awesome guy and you were mentioning about the first time I ever met him was at the fitness summit years ago. And I was asking him, I said, Oh, well, you know, what do you do? He's like, oh, I'm a trainer. You know, I own a gym in New York city. And I'm like, Oh, well, what is the gym about? He's like, Oh, it's like the Island of misfit toys for people who hate fitness. Mm-hmm. And he's just like describing the gym. And I'm like thinking, this is weird as hell. Like this guy is like a bizarro. <laughs> and then we had like a conversation that night for like two hours about like some obscure, like Russian periodization method. And I was like, Oh, this guy actually really knows his shit too, <laughs> but yeah. Awesome dude. So that'll be fun. You'll have to let me know how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Looking cool, forward man. to that meeting. Well, anything else? Where can people find you? Are you traveling up the East coast now or where are you off to next? Currently I'm in North Carolina. I'm heading to Nashville this weekend. Then I go down to, Oh, this is fun. I'm going to go down to Alabama, Auburn, Alabama to talk with the author, John fair who wrote um, mm. uh, the, the really great book about um, uh, Bob Hoffman, which oh, is called, cool. I want to say it's called Muscle Town USA. So, oh, right? okay. Um, anyway, John and I have known each other for a while because he's a historian that I respect. And I met him through Jan Todd, I believe. I then oh, cool. Hung out with him several times at the Arnold's and at the Stark Center and things like that. Um, I just found out he wrote a book about Tommy Kono. And Tommy Kono and I were friends for the last 10 years of Tommy's life. He, he oh, uh, wow. gave workshops at my gym and um, I, I knew him pretty well. And so um, I was looking up, I forget why I was online looking up Tommy Kono and I came across this new book about Tommy Kono. It's not out yet, but you can pre-order it. And I saw it was written by John and I'm like, Oh my gosh. So I, I contacted huh. John. And I said, I got to talk to you on film about this. We got to do a little interview. So I'm going to go interview him next week. And then I'm going to go down Alabama, my buddy Dave Hall runs a gym down there called the Squatchery because he's the Alabama Sasquatch. <laughs> Hang out with him for a while, and then and then who knows where I go next? Very cool. Speaking real briefly on uh historical books, I assume you've read Muscle Smoke and Mirrors by oh, Randy Roach. I, t- I, e- I had an email exchange with Randy for a while, cool. it was really good. Uh, and he's he, uh, you, you know, he's uh, he's blind, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but man. I, I only skimmed the second and third one in that series, but that first, 
first one in that series, The Muscle Smoke and Mirrors. So good. In fact, here's the thing, just quick about books. There's three books that work really good in order. Um, I can't remember the name of the first one. It's about Bernard McFadden, um, mm, who started okay. Physical Culture Magazine back in uh, 1899. And it's it's his history. And then you follow it up with Muscletown USA, which almost takes picks up exactly where that one left off. And then you follow it up with Muscle Smoke and Mirrors, which which gives us great overview of what happened with Hoffman and after Hoffman. Um, it's a, if you want to know physical culture history for the last 120 years, you get those three series of books, and oh, it's fantastic! Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, I would highly recommend everyone who's into that kind of stuff to to read them because you'll. But I always am amazed is that there's nothing really that new. Like stuff has been almost all done before. Yet at the same time, you'll still see things or think of things you've never thought of before. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a guy on Instagram you probably know is it Strongman Archaeology, I think. Mm-hmm. I'll figure out what his actual name is. But he was demoing uh, a gobel squat the other day. Mm. So you basically do like a, for people listening, you do like a curl and you hold it with your palms facing and then you squat holding it in that position. And I'm watching it and I'm like going why have I never seen this before? And I thought I've seen most lifts, you know? So it's this interesting thing of like, most things have been done before, but that doesn't mean you still won't find these little gems to just play around with using basic tools again, which again, makes it fun. There's a, there's a fun example of that, um, that the history I think is interesting. Um, the, the, the SOTS press. Yeah where you, you press from a squatted position uh, uh, named after a man named Victor Sotz, uh, Victor Sotz. And I was, because somebody saw him doing it in a training session and, and wrote about it. And Jim Schmitz, the weightlifting coach, well-known weightlifting coach um, from California who trained some of the greatest American weightlifters in the last 40, 50 years. Uh, Jim was <laughs> telling me how there's a good chance that Victor Sotz showed everybody that lift to distract them from actually getting strong. (laughs) (laughs) He's he's like that. He's like, Victor probably thought that that didn't actually do much for you, but he thought, how can I just make people do something stupid to waste their time? And he did that. Yeah. So So, those little things too, like I heard a rumor, I don't know if it's true or not. I think it was from Sam Brown and elite FTS that uh, the Z press or the Zavikas press where you're flat seated and you're pressing a barbell overhand that, Supposedly, Zavikas never did it, and he thinks it's like just a stupid lift. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you guys name that after me? Right. <laughs> so I always find those little tidbits are are fascinating too. So i I wanted to figure out like with the Sots press if like a big lifter was doing this weird esoteric lift for that reason that he never really did it, but he's just trying to you know like uh, psychological warfare. You're just trying to distract all the competition and have them think you're doing this magical thing when it's actually making them worse. <laughs> yeah. Apparently that that's been known to happen. Yeah. Cool, man. Um, so where do people find out more about you? Thank you for all your time. I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. I feel like we should be doing this daily. Um, uh, Bodytribe.com is my website where people can join or just read my blog or, you know, buy programs or whatever. Uh, YouTube is where I put a whole bunch of my energy. Um, so Mostly what I do is I, I make videos these days that are either going on my website for my members or going on YouTube for the general public. So I travel and film and travel and film and, and hopefully teach a workshop here and there. 
And so through my website or through YouTube or through Instagram, Body Tribe Chip, uh, you can get a hold of me pretty easily. It's not hard to find me. And I love opening dialogues with people. I get, you know, I get an email or two every few days from some random stranger. And I just love uh, communicating. So now I've, through that, I have friends all over the world who aren't necessarily clients or anything like that. Just people who reach out. And I really appreciate that. That's awesome. And to get your books, are they on the website is the best place to pick them up at? Probably. I think you can also get them on Amazon. Uh, I get them. They're just, you know, self-published through lulu.com. So one of the, the two that are, most popular right now is are you useful and uh more inclined towards adventure is the mm. is the most recent one um but yeah uh i did a dvd with dan john many many years ago that's still available i think you can oh, still download nice. it on, on Larry draper's website um but yeah i've put a lot of stuff out there but i think the two books right now are the ones i'm really wanting people to read Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I'd highly encourage people to go check those out. I really appreciate our discussion here. And it was, I was thinking the other day, I'm like, ah, it felt like I've talked to you already in the past. And then I was thinking about podcast stuff and I was like, I've never talked to him for more than just a few minutes here and there. So yeah. I really appreciate all your time. And this was awesome. And we'll have to have you back out in the future. I mean, we'll talk about some old timey strongman lifts and some pointers and tips for people looking at a little more variety into their training i have an idea next time you're in south padre you should go up to austin and we can meet at the stark center we will be driving through austin so let me know next time i'm there a lot we go hang out with jan todd oh we definitely have to do that for sure that is on my bucket list for sure i've done that with dan john so now i have to do it with you (laughs) oh that'd be great that that is on my list so we'll, we'll definitely make it happen at some point cool Cool. Thank you so much. Most welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Flex Diet Podcast. Really appreciate it. Big thanks to Chip for all of his time and sharing some of his philosophy with us. I would highly recommend you check out uh, the books that he has published. I like them because they are unique and he's talking about things that I feel are uh, very important, but as we mentioned in the show, don't really get discussed a lot. So make sure to check out his stuff. And this is brought to you also by the Physiologic Flexibility Cert, which is open April 4th through April 11th, 2022. So if you're listening during that time, go to physiologicflexibility.com for all the information. This is on how you can set up your life to be more robust, more resilient, and just generally harder to kill. I also believe that most of these interventions will help with longevity and just feeling a lot better. So if you've done well with the basic nutrition and exercise as covered in the level one flex diet cert, then I would highly recommend the level two, which is the PhysFlex Physiologic Flexibility Certification. So go to physiologicflexibility.com for all the information. If you're listening to this outside of that time period, you can still go there and get on the wait list. It'll put you onto the free newsletter with a ton more information also. So go to physiologicflexibility.com. Thank you so much to Chip for all of his time. Thank you to listening to this podcast once again. If you can hit the little subscribe button or download, and then also share it with a friend who you think might enjoy this conversation. Leave us a review. That helps us out a ton.
So thank you so much for your time and listening. Really appreciate it. Talk to you next week. Yeah, I just wanted to come on here, chat, give a little bit of your background and yeah, probably chat about some old timey strongman stuff or just pretty much whatever you wanted to chat about, which way to put the toilet paper roll, you know, all the important stuff in life. We're going to end up talking about music, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I got my, my Sepultura shirt on today. So Very cool. <laughs> this, yeah. is my, this is my I Speak Machine shirt. Oh, I can quite They're, see it. She is a, uh, a woman who, they, she opened for Gary Newman. Oh, wow. She's got kind of a, if, if Nina Hagen or Grace uh, Jones used more 808 kind of Oh, group. interesting. Yeah. Ah, how long ago was that? Or is this recent? That was just a week or two ago. Oh, I didn't even know Gary Newman was touring again. Yeah. How yeah. was it? It's it, it it it's the best sounding live show. I've seen him. He was both the last concert I saw pre-pandemic and then the first concert since the shut since the lockdown. So I've seen him twice in the last two years, and it's it's the best sounding show I've ever been to. Wow. I, it, it's hard to explain, but he creates this massive full wall of sound that takes the sounds of his albums and then just, it, it feels like he just compresses them so they can expand and expand. Huh? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I'd love to see him kind of similar. I'm sure you've heard of Devin Townsend, <clears throat> formerly a strapping young lad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> his life stuff is always just like all these just amazing overlay of sounds and the fact that they can, you know, pull off most of that live. Obviously, they're playing to a track a lot of times, but it's still that always just blows me away when it's that complex to do it live. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he had full band, guitar, bass, drums, and keyboard. And nice. It's just mm, mm. Uh, just kiss. That reminds me of years ago. Uh, if you're familiar with the band, industrial band, Frontline Assembly. Yeah, and I'm supposed to see them open for ministry soon. Yeah, yeah. Me too. The show keeps getting pushed back. Yeah, it's been rescheduled three times, and Frontline Assembly got kicked off the bill. So, oh really? Oh yeah, yeah. Which, yeah, I don't know if that was due to Uncle Al or, or who knows. Depends on who you believe in the industry. So, but, so I was <laughs> I, so I was introduced to uh, ministry through Jello Biafra. And, oh yeah, and and later the next time I saw Jello, I said, "Yeah, I'm seeing Frontline Assembly open for him," and he said, "Oh, I don't even think he likes them." So maybe <laughs> there's I mean, he did a song with them. I don't know what happened since, but maybe they fell out. Yeah, I don't know. That tour has been rescheduled so many times, and I think it's still going on in Minnesota, though I haven't heard anything. It's supposed to be on in April, and I'm going to be gone. I believe COC, <clears throat> Corrosion of Conformity, is touring with them now, who oh. I love. I love COC. I saw them live years ago, and it was freaking amazing, but... It's not industrial. I wouldn't say that's like a big industrial package tour. No. <laughs> no. I mean, you know, if you were to pick a, a metal band, I'd say Voivod would be a better fit or something like that. But yeah, but yeah that's still not okay. I mean, there's so yeah. many other choices, but yeah. I mean, when I saw Frontline Assembly on their Live Wired tour, which they did the DVD for like years ago, they the rumor was, and I think it's true, they did everything live on there, like all the samples, like. Oh, wow. They had two or three keyboard players, like all live guitars, <clears throat> all live drums. It was, yeah, it was amazing. Skinny, Skinny Puppy pulls off a good live show that way. They do a lot of this stuff live. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen them, I assume? 
couple times. Yeah, I saw them years ago, and it's so funny to see people who have never really seen them before and didn't really know what their live show was about and see them just kind of freaking out halfway through the set and not knowing <laughs> what yeah. was really going on on stage. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's their point. See, yeah. I, knew, I knew it would devolve into a conversation about music. I know. And I think Skinny Puppy is still doing newer music, aren't they? I know they had an album out, what, God, four years ago now, maybe? So Yeah, and uh, so they're, just a quick aside, their producer has a YouTube channel, which is really cool. He talks about producing industrial music. But, but and, and, you know, even if you're not into the production side, he's still... He's still so enthusiastic and he, sh- and he shows all these cool things that he does with the songs. And you're like, oh, that's fun. It's, huh. Who's the producer? I should bit. know, but I don't. I'll, I'll send you the link. Yeah. Yeah. Oops, you cut out there for a sec. Hello? I can't hear you. I, I muted. Sorry. Oh, you're back. <laughs> Brushing hair off my, my keyboard. Yeah. I mean, I remember back when I was a DJ in college, I remember playing... The Skinny Puppy was at the Rabies album on vinyl, like mm-hmm. back, God, early 90s, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the good uh, old days. The good old days, back in the day. What else are we <laughs> supposed to talk about today? Uh, <clears throat> I don't know. I'll just do a short little pause and we'll just start going. We already started anyway. We'll just stick this at the end for people who want to geek out on music. 